Christianity has been called a religion of the broken heart, and blues has been called the music of the broken heart, and historically there's often been an overlap between Christianity and the blues. Blues musician turned gospel, hymn writer and singer Thomas Dorothy, author of that classic song, Precious Lord, Take My Hand, learned that you can sing in and through the worst of hardships. In 1932, Dorsey arrived in the city of St. Louis to perform a gospel concert. Upon arriving in that city, he received a life-shattering telegram. His wife, who was in the early stages of pregnancy, had taken ill. Before he returned home, his wife delivered their son and died. And two days later, his son died. Sons, his friends uh, set aside an area for him to grieve and process. Uh, he spent uh, a better part of several weeks in a room with a piano. And there, in that room with heartache, he penned the words, Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. See, knowing Christ, we can sing in the worst of circumstances. And here we see that Paul puts in practice that understanding. Acts chapter 16, verse 16, Luke writes, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And thus she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and Magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison was shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were with him in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. The jailer reporting these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent me to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And when they took them out and asked them to leave the city, so they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, as we turn our attention to this text, I pray that we would have a greater understanding and appreciation for your grace in our lives, uh, that we can lean upon you and sing to you even in life's most difficult circumstances. Pray that our lives would be marked by such a faith, such a confidence, so that those who do not know you would come to know you through the quiet and confident assurance that we have. And we pray that if there are any lacking salvation or lacking assurance, uh, that they would find their lives fixed upon the rock of the gospel today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, if you read the passage carefully, we understand that there are actually more than two captives. We understand Paul and Silas are in captivity, put in jail for the proclamation of the gospel and for doing the work of the ministry, but we see that what elicits this is their own encounter with somebody in a much greater captivity. There are captivities far greater and far more real than concrete walls and iron bars. Luke tells us uh, that uh, that after uh, the great display of God's grace and the salvation of Lydia, they went there and on their way there, they came across a slave girl. She's not just any slave girl. She is one who is doubly enslaved. She is a slave girl. She is owned by others. She is owned by men who are using her for financial profit. But she's also in thrall. Notice what Luke says. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. Now, in our anti-supernatural age, where we have a diminished view of what's going on, the Bible is very clear that there are evil spirits in the world. They're much quicker than we are. And one writer did my doctoral research on this very issue, a spiritual warfare. Uh, One writer, William Perkins, uh, marks the speed, uh, and a modern-day writer uh, describes it as the Internet before the Internet. 
You, you think these evil spirits move at the speed of wind and light, watching and listening. William Perkins, in his uh, classic treatise on the issue, Damned Art of Witchcraft, uh, he argues uh, that these unclean spirits, which do the work of Satan, uh, are quick to listen and spread their secret knowledge. It's not as if this slave girl knew the future. It's that this demonic spirit that has held her in captivity knows more than everyone else. It's not surprising. These evil spirits have been around longer than any of us. I know some of you are in your 80s. These spirits have been around before humanity. They know more than we do. So they're able to use that knowledge. Let's not think that they know the future or predict the future. It's that they have knowledge that we don't. There's nothing supernatural about their knowledge. What's supernatural is their speed. One could say that they were the first inside traders trading their knowledge amongst themselves. So here you have a slave girl who is doubly captive. She's captive to her owners. She is captive to this demonic spirit that makes her profitable to them. A slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. So uh, the forces of darkness were very profitable to them. And as we know, in light of the life and ministry of Jesus, the forces of darkness know Jesus. They know who works for him. And so this doubly captive girl, verse 17, she followed Paul and Luke and Silas, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this... She kept doing for many days. Now, you might be wondering to yourself, why is Paul getting annoyed? Well, uh, the, the saying is true. Not all publicity is good publicity. There are people that if they spoke well of you, it would ruin your reputation. Could you imagine being somebody, uh, you know, imagine a, a hypothetical scenario. I don't think this has happened, but just imagine somebody running for the office of sheriff. And then in the newspaper, all the drug dealers in town put out ads endorsing the character and quality of the man running for sheriff. I don't think I would. I don't think anyone in their right mind would vote for someone that the drug dealers were putting out ads endorsing their character. It would be damning praise, as the expression goes. And so Paul knows that this woman, this girl who is tied up in the forces of darkness, a captive of Satan, keeps pointing out their ministry. It's not the attention they want, so he gets annoyed. And he turns and says, not to the girl, but to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. You know, we think of the issue of the forces of darkness. They're not on equal footing. You know, sometimes 
We hear people talk about God and Satan as if they were on equal footing, you know. Uh, this battle between good or evil might go one way or the other. Well, if you read your Bibles carefully, you understand that there is no comparison. When light comes against darkness, light wins ten times out of ten. And we know that to be true in reality in life. When we wake up early in the morning and we flip our light switch, we don't have to wonder whether the light from the light bulb is going to push away the darkness because we know that light is greater than darkness. When the sun rises in the morning, we don't have to wonder, is the sun's light going to be strong enough to push through the deep dark of night? Because we know that the light overcomes And so here, the power of the gospel overcomes the very hour. What made this girl profitable to these men who held her in captivity was gone. She finds herself free in one sense. She's free of demonic captivity. And that makes Paul and Silas a public enemy. Verse 19, but when her owner saw that their hope of gain was gone, she couldn't tell them anything that they didn't know. She didn't have this demon inside her that was connected to the world wide web of demonic activity. And so they're not going to make money off of it anymore. And like anyone who's had a good business deal go bad, uh, they try to take matters into their own hands. They seize Paul and Silas, and they drag them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And so the mob comes in upon them. Rather than simply saying these men uh, got rid of the demon that was so profitable to us, uh, they put it as that they're a public enemy. And so the mob attacks them. Think of this. A large group of people, the, the entire town's coming in to get a piece of Paul and Silas. Luke tells us the crowd joined in attacking them. The magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. So they had been beaten ruthlessly with rods. No telling the physical toll that's been taken upon them. And they're placed deep inside the prison. They're Feet are placed in stocks so that they're immobile. And what do they do? Luke tells us in verse 25, And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. We don't know what they sang, but I don't think that they were singing, I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart today. I don't think they were singing that. Out of the 150 psalms that we have, the hymn book of the Old Testament, 65 of them are laments. 
lamenting sin, lamenting sin in the world. I, I can imagine Paul and Silas, after standing up, uh, proclaiming the gospel, casting out this demon that held the girl in captivity, and for all the good they've done, being beaten and imprisoned for it, I, I can imagine them lamenting, lamenting the state of this world, lamenting uh, that men could profit off of a, a girl who had been held in captivity by Satan, uh, lamenting and asking God to act in a way to vindicate his gospel. Nothing wrong with a lament. There's nothing wrong in being brokenhearted over the world that it is in. To see the world and realize that this world is not how it should be. What's wrong is when you can't sing to God in trouble. You know, the psalm writers tell, uh, show us time and time again, even when life is at its absolute lowest, we can pray and sing to God. Not only is the book of Psalms been called the hymn book of the Bible, it's been called the prayer book of the Bible. Of all the psalms we have, the absolute lowest one in mood is Psalm 88. A, a psalm that was composed to be sung in public worship. Uh, here, Psalm 88, the title is a song. A psalm of the sons of Korah to the choir master, according to the Mahalath Leniath, a, a mascal of Haman the Ezrite. It was a song for everyone to sing. Just imagine if we had a hymn like this in our hymn book. O oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Fair warning, it gets pretty dark after this. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness? Or your righteousness in the land of the forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You've caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. And you think... That was in their hymn book. That was sung in corporate worship. 
You know, I fear uh, in our contemporary days uh, that oftentimes we think uh, that we have to be in really good circumstances. Everything has to be going just right for us to sing because unfortunately a great majority of the songs that have been written in recent years, you'd have to have everything going right to sing them uh, if you didn't want to be a liar. Christianity is not just the religion of a broken heart. Christianity is a religion of song. That separates it from so many other religions in the world. That was one of the great rediscoveries of the Reformation, that all God's people get to call out to God in song, lifting up his name, but also calling out to him from a broken heart. Do you have the type of faith uh, that can sing in the jailhouse? Do you have the type of faith uh, that can sing in midnight, at midnight when life is falling apart? You know, can you sing in the hospital room when somebody you love, his life is slipping away into eternity? I know we can't sing in those moments. I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart, down in my heart today. But we can sing like Thomas Dorsey did. And that ache of loss, loss of a wife and the loss of a child that he never got to know. We could sing, precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. And I think... One unfortunate thing about contemporary Christianity is oftentimes, uh, especially in the songs that are popularized, that there's an overly triumphant note that gives people the idea that Christianity is not a religion uh, for those with problems. Christianity is for those that understand uh, their own brokenness and the brokenness of the world. How many new Christian songs reflect the ethos of I am tired, I am weak, I am worn? Not many. There's a few. Here, Paul and Silas are. They're beaten, bruised, thrown in prison. And they pray and they sing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening. Whatever they're singing, uh, uh, the prisoners understood, and they understand that there's something different about them. They're not cursing God. They're praying to God. They know God. They know that all things are going to work together for their good, but they have to be heartbroken over the situation in the world. And the prisoners, there must have been a very deep, impression made by Paul and Silas as they're beaten, left in the stalks in the inner prison while the prisoners are listening. God answers their prayer. They pray to God, and what does God do? Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Everyone's free. Paul and Silas knew that 
That prison was no real prison. There they were in the prison. Doors open. Everyone's free to go. And everyone stays. That's a greater miracle than the earthquake itself. I mean, just imagine any prison or jail in our day and age if somehow the lock stopped working. There wouldn't be a story of uh, every prison cell opened and everything was perfectly fine. It would be a disaster story for the news. The jailer woke up and saw that the doors were open. In the Greco-Roman world, if you had prisoners entrusted to you, your life was contingent upon holding on to them. If you lose your prisoners, you lose your life. So the jailer comes in, and uh, like any logical person, he sees the doors open, and any smart jailer who sees the doors open is going to think, if I go through those doors, I'm going to find an empty prison. Jailers don't go through empty doors expecting to find their open doors to expect to find their prisoners there. So he sees the doors open, he draws his sword, he's about to kill himself because he knows that's going to happen anyway. He was about to kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. What a miracle that was. Paul and Silas are able to sing and pray and terrible circumstances, and it makes such an impression on all the prisoners that they all stay. That's a work of God's grace if there ever was one. Do not harm yourself. We were all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. Can you just imagine this? This man was about to take his life because he thought his life was over anyway. And he comes in. These people that he had jailed and thrown in stocks who were beaten, so vilely treated, they're there. With fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought him out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So it's highly likely that at some point after the rest, he's heard the gospel. He knows that there's some major difference. They're able to sing and pray and suffer well. Makes such a difference. Not only do the prisoners stay, their jailer wants to be as they are. What must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. That kind of gives a highlight to their physical state. That they were beaten to the point that they were wounded, thrown in prison. You know, they didn't curse. They didn't show resentment. They called out to God. They sang to God. 
And it made an impression upon the jailers. It made such an impression upon the jailer that his, he and his family were saved and baptized at once, he and all his family. What a great reversal the gospel has accomplished. No, just hours before, he was happy to have those men in prison, wounded in stocks, and now he brings them home. He brought them up into his house and set food before him, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. Now, what a difference knowing Jesus makes. Imagine what you would do in those circumstances. You ever think about that? You know, what would you do if you were sharing your faith and you were beaten with nightsticks and thrown in a jail cell? Would you be thinking kind thoughts about those who beat you and threw you in? What a difference Christianity makes. The next day, the magistrates send uh, the police saying, let those men go. See, jail wasn't a punishment. Jail was what you did until you figured what you wanted to do. And they thought, well, we've beaten them enough. We beat the clothes off of them. They're good. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. See, under Roman law, you had a right to a trial before you could be beaten. See, the magistrates assumed because Paul and Silas were Jews that they weren't Roman citizens. But Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. And so now uh, they graciously uh, emphasize the importance of those rights. You know, being Christians doesn't mean that we forfeit ourselves uh, the rights uh, the government affords us with. Paul understood he had a right not to be beaten. And so he wanted them to be aware of their violation. So verse 38, the police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. They still don't want them around, so they come, they apologize to them, sorry for beating you, sorry for your struggles, uh, now leave town. And they do. They took them out and asked them to leave the city, so they went out of the prison and visited Lydia and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. There. What a difference the gospel makes. I think we often go through hardships and struggles. It's hard to uh, uh, quantify and qualify ours with others. But I don't think any of us have been uh, beaten and thrown in prison down on our luck. And yet hardships will come. And the question is, will, will we be able to call out to God? Will we be able to sing to God? Several months ago, I saw a video from a staff at one of the churches I served as youth minister at. A group of people had come to the church, and they were singing in the hospital room of one of their seriously ill members. That's the difference the gospel makes.
See, those who do not know the salvation that is in Christ, the promise of Christ, like Romans 8, 28, that all who love God and are called according to his purpose, that all things work together for their good. And when we know Christ, we understand that the worst things that could ever happen to us will not befall us. We understand that we are genuinely free. Paul and Silas weren't real prisoners. They were there their own choosing. Doors open, stocks come off, and they choose to stay. Because they understand that they were there by divine appointment. It's true, he who the Son says free is free indeed. Right now, we live in a very peculiar time in history. We have religious liberty. Sometimes it seems like that's eroding away. And if it does erode away, it could throw us in jail and we'll still be more free than everyone outside. The fact of the matter is, a demon possessed or not, everyone outside of saving faith in Christ is in captivity. But we live in a world of 1 John chapter 5. John concludes, this whole world lies under the evil one. Paul says of people outside of the grace of God and Christ that they're Children of wrath, sons of disobedience, carried about by the prince of the power of the air that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's why Jesus said, He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Now, we don't have to sing the jailhouse blues and sing that we're down on our luck. We can sing a lament. We can sing in a minor key, which not many songs are. But we can sing with a confident trust in God. We go back to Psalm 88. It seems like such a dark and miserable song if we brush off the first verse. Oh Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Even though it goes downhill mood-wise throughout, He's singing on the rock of salvation. And he knows that no matter how dark life is, no matter how hard life is, God is the God of his salvation. So as we come to a conclusion, I ask you, do you have a type of faith that sings? The doctor comes in and tells you that Whatever you have is terminal, that you have cancer, uh, that your loved one is slipping away, that you've lost your job. Could you sing in those moments, it is well with my soul? Horatio Spafford wrote that hymn, sailing across the Atlantic, going past the very spot where he lost his wife and children. It is well with my soul. After a lifetime of hardship and suffering, he could write and sing the words, It is well with my soul. Like Thomas Dorsey was able to write and sing. 
Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn through the storm, through the night. Lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. Maybe you don't have the type of faith to sing out in life when life gets hard. What better prayer to pray than that? Maybe you've never trusted in Christ for salvation and you're trusting in yourself. I'll tell you, if you haven't disappointed yourself yet, which you have, I'm sure, you will. You're not an ever-present help in time of need. You're not a hope and support and strength when life gets hard, but God is. And when we're tired, when we're weak, when we're worn, when we're beaten down by life, because of Christ, we have a God that we can come to in prayer, that we can come to in song who meets us where we are, and that we can find comfort and strength and consolation in that. So as we come to the time of invitation, I ask you, do you have a a faith that can sing in the hard moments of life, when life beats you down? We might not have jailers and mobs beating us down, but we have a world that loves to beat us down. When you're beaten down by life, Can you sing a song like, great is your faithfulness? Once you know God and Christ, you can. You can stare death in the face and sing. That's what Jesus did. You know, when we observe the Lord's Supper, uh, we close with a hymn because Jesus, facing death, staring down death, sang with His disciples. When we have a faith that sings, it makes a difference. Made a difference in the lives of the prisoners. They were free and could have had a jailbreak. They could have gone on with their lives. No questions asked. They stayed right where they were. Made a difference in the jailer's life. He comes in. And he asked one question, what must I do to be saved? When we have a faith that sings in life's hardship... It'll lead others asking us, what must we, they do to be saved? And we're saved by calling upon the precious Lord to take our hand, to lead us and letting us stand. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, as we come to you in prayer, there may be some here today that are tired, that are weak and worn, and we pray uh, that you would take their hand, that you would help them stand, that you would lead them into the light. While it may seem dark in their lives right now, we pray that they would call out to you and that you would take hold of them, that you would remind them of your love, your care, and your grace to them, even in the hardships that they find. We pray that if there are any who have not come to know the salvation that is found in Christ, that they would cry out to you and you would uh, take a hold of them, that you would save them even now in this moment in a mighty, powerful way. For this we pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.